Hey everyone, welcome to the third episode of the More Children's and Youth Leadership Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be listening to episode three of 2022's More Make It Count series, starting from scratch. This episode was originally released in September of 2022, so if you want to go and watch the original full video, you can do so by heading to our website, www.moreconference.co.nz. We're going to be hearing from Scotty Reeve. Scotty leads Renew Communities in Wellington, a network of imaginative church plants and ministries. Prior to this, he spent nine years working with young people through Zeal, a nationwide creative arts trust. Scotty is an ordained priest and archdeacon in the Anglican Church for Pioneer Ministry. He is currently rebooting Brooklyn Anglicans alongside a team through the community centre, Two Todman. Scotty is also the author of 21 Elephants, Leaving Religion for the Reckless Way of Jesus, and co-host of the 21 Elephants podcast. Let's hear what Scotty has to say about starting from scratch. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa, nā mihi nui ki a koutou, ki te atua tēnā koe, ki, ki te ihu karaiti tēnā koe, ki te wairua tapu tēnā koe, ko i o te timetanga me te mutunga katuku mihi au, aroha mai, aroha atu, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. It's amazing to be with you for uh, your um, conference or your online conference that you're doing together. My name is Scotty Reeve and I work for the Anglican Diocese here in Te Whanganui Atara in Wellington. Uh, we're now in a space called Two Todman where we're shooting this which is a, a little pioneer mission venture which we're doing here in the Brooklyn community of Wellington. And I understand that this year your theme is around starting from scratch and when I think about starting from scratch the first thing that comes to mind is the words of a theologian by the name of Phyllis Tickle who passed away a couple of years ago and one of the things she said is she said this this interesting phrase that every 500 years the church holds a junk sale she meant every 500 years the church has a garage sale and it realizes the things it never should have picked up along the way that it needs to leave behind and it realizes the things it should have never left behind that it needs to rediscover again and so uh, we are in a moment like that, I think, at the moment, where we are reckoning uh, with the junk sale, a junk sale moment in the church's history. We are 500 years since the Reformation, one of our last great junk sales, and we are wrestling with ideas of faith that need some really big interrogation. And so when we think of starting from scratch, there are three big things, I think, that might dominate our, our consciousness around that at the moment. Firstly, we're in post-Christendom. What do I mean when I say post-Christendom? I mean that 50 or 100 years ago, me being an Anglican priest or someone else being an officer in the Salvation Army actually bought you some social capital and credibility. And people might actually listen to you because of that. Um, government might listen to you. There might be some, a little bit of reputation that you get from that. But that is done. That is gone. We are in post-Christendom. We have to fight for every bit of credibility and integrity we have in Aotearoa New Zealand society now. We're in post-Christendom. But secondly, we're in COVID, or moving into post-COVID. And I think some of us thought that what would happen in COVID uh, is that people would suddenly have a reckoning with their own mortality, and in this climate of anxiety, they would come back to Jesus. And we were quite hyped that maybe our churches would grow again, 
But what we instead sadly discovered is that it hastened our decline and that people woke up on a Sunday morning realising they didn't have to go to a meeting and they felt quite good about that. And so they just haven't come back. So we're in post-Christendom, we're in COVID, people are not coming back. Um, and then finally, we're in the collapse of attractional ministry. And, and we've seen that with the, the effects of things like the demise of Hillsong, the stuff going on with the rise in other megachurch cultures here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, that this attractional model which we had tried to do of trying to outdo consumer society with the biggest show possible has actually not worked out. And we've realised that the emperor has no clothes. So we are in this, uh, this moment where, in a sense, we're starting from scratch. We've been the church for a long time, but we're post-Christendom, we're COVID, there's the collapse of attractional ministry, and we need to work out how to be the church again in Aotearoa society. And so as we think about that, I can't help but think about some stories from the scriptures. I think of a man who knew everything about his religion, Knew, knew how to follow God inside out, and he goes to Jesus, and he says to him, basically, I know everything. And he says, but how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, if you want to follow me, if you want to go where I am going, then you are going to have to forget everything, and you're effectively going to have to have a rebirthing process. You're going to have to be born again, and you're going to have to learn from scratch what it is to follow God. I also think of another man who came with an enormous amount of wealth, and he said, I've, I've followed all the commandments. I've done everything. I've followed God well. And Jesus says, yep, one thing remains. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, I can't speak for your movement, but I know for the movement that I'm a part of in the Anglican Hahi, that we have an enormous amount of knowledge. We've thought for a long time about how to follow God. And we have an enormous amount of wealth. We have buildings out the wazoo. We have wealth that is needed by the poor that is trapped in so many institutions at the moment. And I feel like God might be coming to us and he may be coming to you saying that the knowledge you have built for a century or two, the wealth you have built for a century or two, will not carry you where Jesus is going in this next season. And we need to begin to think differently. We need to begin to have a junk sale. We need to start from scratch. So I want to share with you quickly three stories from my journeys of starting from scratch over the years um, to help us think about that. And the first is uh, a few years ago when I was 19 or 20, quite a few years ago, I, uh, I had reached a point of being absolutely sick of church. I wanted to know Jesus but I was sick of church. I thought, if I have to turn up to another meeting and put my hands in the air, if I have to put another chair in a row, if I have to go to another Bible study, I am going to scream. But I desperately wanted to know Jesus, and I wanted to recapture something of how I'd felt him talk to me when I was a young person. And so I started volunteering for this little youth, youth organization called Zeal, and we started doing these gigs every Friday night and every Saturday night at this venue on the, in the central city. And uh, we, we had this idea that kids would come along to the gigs and we'd get to know them there. But what we kind of found out pretty quickly is they didn't want to come to the gigs. They wanted to come to the park outside the gigs and they wanted to drink a lot out there. So our ministry moved very quickly from kids coming to our show to instead being out on the park outside, a public space, dealing with these young people who were off their face. 
And I can remember this one night where there was this young girl by the name of Jane, and she was off her face. She'd fallen down these steps, down to the bottom of these steps, passed out, and a group of us were around her, and we had a bag of white bread, and we had a bottle of water, and we were trying to get white bread and water into her and to sober her up. And eventually she sort of comes to, and she leans back, and then as she comes forward, she looks me in the eye and then hurls vomit just at me, just like projectile, like the exorcist kind of style. And I was so horrific. It was not what I signed up for. But the weird thing that happened in that moment was that at the same time as that vomit drenched down the front of me, I sensed that same presence of God that I had been desiring for years to rediscover. And I think for me, that was a category-busting moment where I realized, you know, there's that, that phrase they used to say when Elvis had finished a show, they would say, Elvis has left the building. And you know, I think Jesus has left the building. We had an idea to run great gigs for great kids. Instead, where the kids were, it was something quite different. And in this moment from starting from scratch, we need to hold a little less passionately and a little less closely to our programs, to our structures, and consider that actually people may not come to us anymore. You know, John 1 talks about Jesus as the Word made flesh. It says the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And a similar call of God, I think, is on us at the moment, is to leave some of our buildings behind, to leave some of the programs and the structures which are actually quite sacred to us, and to become the Word made flesh in the neighborhood. So firstly, when we're thinking about starting from scratch, Jesus has left the building. We need to get back to the neighborhood. Second little yarn, I want to tell you, a few years after that, I ended up in church ministry, which was the last thing I wanted to do, but I had a clear sense of call. And I started to lead this young adults church in the central city called Blueprint, and I was just terrible at it. I was just so, so bad at it. I thought I'd be really good. Um, and about a year and a half in, I can remember being at a conference we were running, and during worship, being in the corner of the room, just having a little pity party, crying to myself um, just about how bad it was going. And then one of the few times in my life I've heard the Holy Spirit speak so clearly, I heard the Spirit say, you've never done this before, why did you think you'd be good at it? You've never done this before, why did you think you'd be good at it? And it's a strange thing to hear, you know, when we're little kids, we expect we won't be good at things when we first do them. But we grow up and become adults and we think we're going to nail everything. But if you've never done it before, you will not be good at it. And uh, we are living in this moment where we're starting from scratch, where we're, we're post-Christendom, we're COVID, we're collapse of attractional ministry. And some of us have learnt skills in ministry or learnt skills throughout our lives, which unfortunately are not the skills we need for the world we now find ourselves in. And I think the Holy Spirit would say to us, why did you think you would be good at this? You've never done it before. In this moment of starting from scratch, we are going to be terrible at this. And the grace of God is big for how terrible we're going to be at some of these things. When I think about that, I think about my experience of heading on to Marae many times over the years. Um, as, a, as a Pākehā man with a big mouth, um, I have put my foot in it many, many times before. And I think uh, I can remember quite a few times where I've gone onto Marae for a noho marae, and um, I've thought that the tools I have in my world would serve me in that world. Um, but what often happens is I quickly discover that what I think is my charisma or what I think is my um, eloquence actually just comes across arrogant 
and just comes across like, like quite a dickhead sometimes. And all the eloquence I might have in Te Reo Pākehā doesn't matter anything in a space which is primarily Te Reo Māori. And so discovering that these skills I may have built for one space may not be the skills that are needed for a new space, just as the skills of ministry yesterday may not be the skills that we need for today. And I remember on this marae one time in Ohopi, thinking in particular of that story of Nicodemus, the religious teacher who knew so much, and the request that he should be born again. And I drafted a little poem at that time. And I wrote this down. You said I must be born again, so I entered by the narrow red gate, held in the arms and branches of tupuna and trees, and I took off my shoes and re-entered the womb, and in the belly of Iomatua Kore, I was reformed and reborn. I think this is a moment where we need to become profoundly teachable. Some of the things that served us yesterday will not serve us today, and we need to go low, low, low into a posture of humility to hear what the world is saying to us and to hear the cry of people in this world um, and to start from scratch. Final story to tell you today. Over the last 15 years, I've lived in various uh, residential communities with groups of young people, and one of those was on Cuba Street, actually, just probably 100 metres from uh, the Salvation Army HQ there on Cuba Street. And we lived in this community together, and one of the things we would do is every night at 6.30 before dinner, we would have a time of prayer together. And for that, we would pull out the old red-bound leather um, Anglican prayer book. Um, and we would open it up, and it is full of these recited prayers which you chant together, and we would have little songs from, um, from, from really ancient, uh, ancient ritualistic songs which we'd say together. And it was a really beautiful and rich time until someone who wasn't familiar with it observed it, and then it could start to look a little bit wacky um, and maybe a little bit cult-like. Um, and I can remember this one night, we were about to sit down for prayers, and we'd been waiting for about two months for one of our toilets to be repaired, and at that moment, a plumber turns up. And he turns up with his 13-year-old son, who he's brought along with him, and he sits his 13-year-old son down at our dining table, and his son is playing Nintendo, and meanwhile, he gets to work in the bathroom with the door open um, so he can hear all of our conversation and we realise it's time for prayers. And we think, should we even do this? Is this just going to freak him out? So we start, and we start our prayers by ringing this bell three times. Boo, boo, boo. And then we start singing these chants together. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, this is so weird. And in the background, you can hear a plunger go... And it's just this incredible clash of like the sacred and profane going on. And it's some particularly heavy liturgy that night about the death of Jesus. You know, it says, um, it was no ordinary stuff that bought our freedom. The price was paid in precious blood. And I'm thinking, oh, this is really, really not good. And uh, we go through for about 20 minutes through our prayers and then we finish. And um, I'm walking to the kitchen. I walk past the bathroom door. And the plumber turns around and he says, hey, hey. I'm like, oh no, here it comes. We've totally weirded him out. This man, if he was ever going to have a faith, he will never have one now. And he says, what were you doing then? I said, oh, we were, we were praying. We're saying 
ancient words, some of them are, and 1,900 years old of Christians who have gone before and the same words that are said all around the globe by other followers of Jesus. And I was waiting for him to be weirded out. And then he said, while you were doing that, I felt something I haven't felt since I was a child in church. And I was amazed at that moment how I had made an assumption and we had made an assumption that these old traditional things would be a repellent um, to him encountering the risen Lord, but there, as he had one arm down the toilet and the plunger going, these ancient words and these prayers to God rang out in the background, and the Spirit moved in his heart. And so the final thing I want to bring to you in this session is that although we are starting from scratch, part of our starting from scratch must be going back to know the foundational stories and narratives of who we are, the foundational narratives what was it that William Booth intended for your movement to be? For me, when Samuel Marsden stood and gave that message on Christmas Day, what was his heart and his hope for this passionate, naive bunch of mongrels to go out there and declare the good news of Jesus? And then beyond there, when Jesus stood in the synagogue in Luke 4.18 and he says, I have come with good news for the poor, release for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, and liberty for the oppressed, what was that original thing? You know, there's a whakatauke that says, kamua kamuri, we look back as we travel forward. And I think some of us, in our starting from scratch, it's actually throwing out our belief that everything must be new and re-tapping into the riches of who we are and who we have always been. So those three things today as we think about starting from scratch. Firstly, Jesus has left the building, and we need to be open for where Jesus is actually moving. Secondly, in this moment where everything has been thrown in the air, you will be terrible at this. And we need to be teachable and humble in that moment. And finally, as we start from scratch, we need to look back to those foundational narratives and stories of who we are as Anglicans, who we are as Salvationists, and who we are as Christ children. And I know many of you will be finding some of these ideas enormously confronting and challenging. There is a huge work of change that we need to do to become the church that Aotearoa needs us to be and that Christ has called us to be. But there is good news that God has renewed his church over and over again throughout history, and he can do it again. The great thing is the days of polite white Christianity are gone. The days of, um, the days of comfortable Christianity are fast diminishing, and that is a good thing for our gospel. And what we need to rise up is just humble mongrels who just believe that the words Jesus said are real and they can make a powerful and lasting difference to people's lives. And I think if we are up for the journey, I think if we can know that Jesus has left the building, I think if we can be humble and teachable and we can return to our roots, then God will bring us alive again. Well, that was Reverend Scotty Reeve from Blueprint Church, and we're, wow, that's such a meaty talk, and we're ready to pull some threads out of it. Um, we're ready to go down the rabbit hole. Welcome, welcome everyone to More Online. This is uh, the third session of More Conference, and we're excited to have you. Kia ora, bula, talofa, malo, wherever you're from, wherever you're watching, whenever you're watching, uh, we hope that this will be an amazing time for you to grab some tips and some tricks on starting from scratch. And that's the name of our session uh, today. So I want to welcome our panel. Don't they look lovely? 
and we're going to run down the line. My name is Chris Singh. Um, up until very recently, I worked for the Creative Ministries Department here in the Salvation Army. Um, and we're going to hear about our panel now. Give us the cliff notes, who you are, name, all that. Yes. Uh, my name is Sammy uh, and I'm the officer at Ashburton Corps uh, and I've got, I'm married and I've got three lovely boys. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, kia ora, um, I'm Georgia, I'm from Wellington South Corps and I'm the young persons worker, so I do children, youth and families. Uh, kia ora, I'm uh, Matt Badger, uh, Territorial Youth Secretary, uh, National Director of Youth Missions Training and the director of Blue Mountain Adventure Centre and a whole lot of other things. Cool, welcome. Welcome team. Alright, take a breath, relax. You know, this is a chill time, chill conversation. Um, but we are gonna kind of get into what Scotty was talking about and what I want to just hear from you just straight up is just like first impression, like umbrella, what did you get from that talk? What stood out to you? What will you remember from that? Yeah, I think I, I really enjoyed um, one thing that really stuck out to me was his second point, um, starting from scratch, um, is getting low and humble enough that we are teachable and, and able to learn again. And I think um, that, that's just something that uh, really stood out for me, was being able to be, to be taught again, even though I'm, I'm a leader myself. Yeah. Getting low, being humble, to be able to be Dot again. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Georgia. Um, I really loved his point about getting out of the building and getting out into the community. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was just you know a really important reminder that what we do in the building, our programs and stuff, isn't the be all and end all of, of what we do mm -hmm. in ministry. Um, and just encouraging to go out and build relationships with those outside of who we are expected to or are usually engaging with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, I liked, uh, he had the saying um, about the importance of being a humble mongrel full of naive hope. Um, I, I thought that was uh, fascinating because it's an invitation uh, in the uh, craziness of the days we live to um, really, you know, on the, on the theme of going back, starting from scratch, that actually things that we have known and taken with us for a long period of time, you might have to actually put those things aside. And it's the reminder that of the importance of being like lifelong learners. Um, that whole thing of actually sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and actually going, what's relevant for the next season? Yeah, so he, he talked a lot about being a, an experiential sort of mindset and that's sort of dying out a little bit and we're in the process of like uh, having a junk sale, you know, and getting rid of some of that stuff. And it's been in the news, you've seen mega churches being raked over the coals. Um, do you think we're in the middle of a, like a kind of a reset? Like is culture changing, uh, is church changing? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And does it mean we're, we're having to start from scratch if we've been forced to do that? I think it's a good reminder to go back to basics. Of, of what it means to what it means to be church, and for me, I think that means going back really to relationships. Yeah. The importance of you know we have programs, but outside of programs, the importance of one-on-one -on -one relationships with our children, with our young people, and with our families. You know, bringing Jesus into that, and I think when we are strong in our own faith, those relationships are when that's really shown yeah. and expressed to them. Yeah, relational yeah. ministry, like core mm. to you're not in less than we think. Yeah, and I, th I think it kind of 
I, I go back to think of uh, the last session, uh, the Ronji with, with Ronji. Like yeah. It's just keeping the main thing, yeah. the main thing. Yeah. Totally, yeah. And it was a great session. I want to encourage you to check it out if you haven't already. Head over to moreconference.co.nz. Uh, Ronji gave a real great talk about keeping the main thing the main thing, keeping Jesus at the centre of everything that we do. Um, and then um, if you want to go back a bit further, we have episode one where we launched um, with a panel as well. Really great. Check it out. Cool. So um, I, the relational thing really reminded me of um, Scotty's story about, you know, being chucked on in the park or something. Um, do you guys have any like stories like that where you've just remembered, like, this is the weirdest place I've ever met Jesus? Like, is there somewhere where in your ministry, in your time, um, have you encountered anything like that before? Uh, yeah, look, for me, I can think of a whole number of um, times like that. One that comes to mind um, was uh, in West Auckland years ago, sitting next to a gentleman on a bridge who um, was going to take his life. And uh, we got a phone call because he wanted to talk to someone from the Salvation Army. And I remember going out and sitting beside him. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite surreal because no one else was allowed near him but I had the privilege of going and sitting next to him and in that moment just feeling that actually the presence of God was, was there. And it had, a, it had a happy ending. But um, yeah, just a reminder to see that um, I think Jesus is more present in the streets than, that, than we sometimes uh, remember. Absolutely, and that's yeah. the heritage, isn't it, of, of the Salvation Army. It's like a ministry on the streets rather than in a building. Yeah, so good. So we have two officers on the panel tonight, or today. Um, Sammy is kind of early on in the journey as an officer, and Matt is maybe a bit further on. So I want to ask you two in particular about, um, in the context of the Salvation Army, and you guys have moved, and um, who knows, by, by the time this comes out, the appointments would have come out. So it might be fresh on some of, you, some of your minds. Um, tell me about like having to either inherit something that's completely new to you, and having to start from scratch in that sense, or um, coming into a new place, a new space, and having to start something. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've encountered? Maybe, Sammy, you can lead us off. Yeah, I think um, when, when we, on our first appointment, it was just, there was no youth at all. Um, and just trying to get young people to come to church that was for, for, for us was just a, a huge mission in finding mm -hmm. who our young people were. Um, but I guess the, from the previous officers, you know, we've, we acknowledge what they kind of brought up. Um, and it's, for us, it's not just basically a starting from scratch, but a rebuilding mm. phase um, in, in the core. And um, <clears throat> yeah, and I guess we, we, we are, we're quite blessed that the, the older folks or in our core are the ones that are wanting the younger people mm. to join um, um, the core and so we, we were quite really blessed that the people were helpful. Um, core folks, leadership team are the ones that are um, wanting the change and when we got the young people in, uh, what has really, I guess, got me is that the fact that the young folks are the ones wanting to learn more about God. Mm. And it's not just us sharing it with them, but it's just they are hungry and, and thirsty for the Word of God. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Mm. And Matt, maybe some stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
when Jules and I went to uh, East City Corps, one of the things that became very apparent when we arrived was there was so much good about the place that we didn't want to break, right? We'd been handed something amazing um, and it's, and it's a, an acknowledgement to John and Karen Fitness really and their leadership at that, in that season. Uh, one of the things, however, that was a challenge for the Corps was again the, the whole area of, space, of youth. And um, when we arrived, I, I smiled because there were a, a couple of teenagers involved with the Corps, um, one who really didn't want to be there. And um, so what we decided to do was pull aside these uh, young people and actually just ask them to dream and think about what uh, youth could look like in those spaces. Um, when the night, the planning night rocked, rocked up, these these um, young people arrived and they picked up a couple of mates from the skate park on the way, you know, and, um, and we started to plan and dream about what a youth space that would be more consistent at that place would look like. Um, we, yeah, for myself, there was the whole, um, the whole question of why do you want to work with young people? You know, because that's really important. You've got to settle within yourself what is the big why of why we do what we do. Um, I, the, the answer to that, of course, is simply that I think the aim of working with any young people is to help transition them um, into adulthood. And so actually, any time you work with young people, you are stewards of people passing through um, in this wonderful relationship thing that you can build. But um, so yeah, so we, so we had some, um, we basically consulted is the way that I would, I would um, and, and I think that lines up nicely with what Scotty was saying with some of his, his things on the way that the, the world is changing and being, um, uh, being what was it, a humble uh, mongrel, yeah. you know, it's actually about listening to what, what people would think that things would be shaped and as a leader you bring some, some things into that space. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm intrigued by something you said that um, is it our job to then journey with youth or, or is it are we in a sense responsible for the faith development of them as well or is that something that just kind of happens naturally along the way like maybe just expand on that a little bit. Yeah yeah. so um, when we talk about uh, transitioning young people from I guess the teenage years into adulthood or whether it's intermediate years into um, the next phase I kind of see it a little bit like a, um, the journey from a caterpillar into a butterfly, right? That the teenage years are very much what I call the cocoon years. And in that, in that, when you look at what's going on in terms of human development, there's all of the stuff that's going on below the surface. Um, however, part of our role is to transition young people spiritually into maturity. Um, the, I love the picture in scripture where um, when you look at the disciples, these guys made heaps of mistakes, you know, always did the wrong things, Jesus was always coaching them. But at some point they became apostles. And when you read about the apostles and you look at them as disciples, you go, man, are these even like the same, the same people? And so transitioning, the, the big why in terms of transitioning people into maturity is actually about the journey of discipleship. And that should always be the core reason for why we do what we do. It's not about programs. It's actually about the well-being, the development of the young person at the heart of everything that we do. So Georgia, your role, you must see kind of some of that discipleship and that development happen. Tell us just a little bit, so on the other side of the curtain now, you know, 
you're kind of in employment at your centre um, and you're seeing, you know, officers maybe come in and out and the culture sort of changing around you. What's it like being um, a paid or an employed um, youth worker, uh, youth and children, family worker? Um, and tell us a little bit about the discipleship journey that you might go on with some of your people. Yeah, um, I don't think it's so different from what you guys are almost doing in many ways. You know, it's the same ministry, same thing, maybe different age. Mm -hmm. But um, I really liked what Matt said about engaging with the young people that he had there, um, acknowledging what had gone before, but also um, actually that you took your time and got to know the young people before you thought about programs and what that was actually going to look like. I think the Salvation Army is um, quite a unique organisation because we have those transitions all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be quite easy to move into a situation and go, okay, right, this is what I'm passionate about, so we're going to start a youth group and actually not take the time to sit in it for a while and talk to who's around you. Um, I've been at South for I think nine months now mm -hmm. and I finally now feel like I know where the foundations are and have the relationships with people to now go okay so this is how it's been um, you know acknowledge all of the great work that's gone before me um, and continues to happen mm -hmm. um, so okay these are the relationships I have so what do we need to do to support these people and also acknowledging that um, it's not all about me and <laughs> it's not about me to support our young people but to encourage and facilitate other people in the core and other relationships that we're building to also support young people so it's not on us as well, I think. Um, so yeah, youth, yeah, I just really agree with what you said. That was really cool. Yeah. yeah. I want to ask you a question in the comments and to the panel as well. Um, it's a simple one, but why do you think we need young people? Why do you think we need young people and children in our churches? And maybe you want to write down what you think the answer to that is uh, in the comments, but panel. Like, big question, but like, like going back to the why. Like, why why do we need young people and children in our churches? <laughs> who wants the whole potato? Yeah. I mean, who else is who else am I going to talk about Harry Styles with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I guess often we, we we talk about needing the next generation uh, for leaders, for people making up the future church, but right here, right now. Uh, we need children and young people within our church because they help to show a more, I guess, accurate picture of not only who the church is supposed to be, but a greater picture of God. Um, us adults shouldn't be the only ones teaching, sharing, or, or doing discipleship. You know, like, and then it goes back to what um, Reverend Stevie said about being humble um, and being able to get their low to be able to be teachable. And um, yeah. We learn so much from children and young people and we should be actively looking for opportunities where we can learn from them. They should have a role in the church right now, not just sitting on the sidelines mm -hmm. waiting for their, yes, their turn as such. Yeah? That's good. Mm -hmm. And like it's the idea of being lifelong learners, eh? Mm -hmm. And we can't just ignore what they have to teach us as well. And can I just say that I'm not a huge fan of next generation. I, I don't like that terminology. I think that young people are like the emerging generation, they're here now, and we can't just afford to like let their turn be after us. I mean, you're, you can disagree with me if, if you like, please do, make a good conversation. But like, I, I genuinely believe that, like we, I think we need to make space for people, and, uh, for young people especially, mm. and children, um, but like, 
some of the, the main like problems and um, issues with our world are the ones that they're going to inherit, yeah? And yeah, if yeah. we're not making room for them now, um, when are they going to have a chance to speak? That's right. Tell me how you feel about that. Yeah, look, I, I, um, I completely agree, agree with what you're saying. I think taking the core principles of what you've talked about, adding into the, the fact that, um, you know, we have this thing called the Great Commission, um, which is something that the church has been called to do. We've been called to go into the nations to make disciples. Um, there's so much about what happens in the life of a young person that could be classed really as cross-cultural ministry. And so when you have young people in your church, I think it's really important because you can empower them to reach their generation. So they're not, they're not waiting to grow up to suddenly become, you know, this amazing disciple-making machine. Um, it's actually about um, helping them to see that being a follower of Christ is an all-of-life thing. And so having young people in your church is, is um, important because it gives you a gateway into those generations in which other ways you might struggle with. Um, that's kind of what, that's the way that I, I look at it. It's actually about empowering them to lead appropriately at their age and stage, um, which is good for the church because it brings all this energy into the, the church that you, you might not otherwise get. Mm. You know what yeah. I just want to comment on that statement that, you know, it's not the next, it's the emerging. I just think we miss out on so much when we don't have them. The reason I think I'm still in church and the person I am today is because um, I had older people who really took me onto their wing and encouraged me and mentored me, um, a lot of the oldies, if I can call them that. You know, they had me over for lunch and for dinner and, um, yeah, mentored and supported me in my faith and also to become a leader mm. and taught me what that is. And if I hadn't have been there, yeah, that wouldn't have happened. So I think, yeah, I'm really grateful that I had people and a culture in the core that I was in that encouraged and supported me. Hmm. We're talking about starting from scratch and uh, there'll be times where, you know, we've sort of talked high level, like, what, you know, what's, why do we want young people? But really practically there'll be people watching and there'll be people in the comments who will have to do a program or plan something and they might not have the time, they might not have the resources, they might not have the finance, they might not even have the support of the people around them. So what we want to do is just like, maybe just some practical tips for people who um, don't have much or are starting from scratch. Like, is there something we can offer to, offer to those people um, around how to do their ministry? Yeah, look, I think the, we talk about the fact that relationship is important, that programs are all about building relationships. However, we are part of, of this movement where the reality is it's where relationship meets institution, right? And so what that means is, is that whatever you do, um, whether it's a new initiative or uh, something that you inherit, there's a whole ton of relationships that are important on that process in terms of, it could be local leadership teams or it could be key people in your core or centre. Um, and so something practical, I think, is to, is to always um, have that at the forefront of your thinking and seek to build those relationships. 
because uh, what I have found in the past is that sometimes people that you think will be your um, greatest naysayers sometimes turn out to be your greatest supporters. Um, How do you turn yeah. them into those? Uh, sometimes it's through patience, um, it's through prayer, it's actually also by uh, seeking to understand where they're coming from. Um, I'll give you an example. At East City Core, many years ago, when we started having a whole ton of teenagers coming to church, I was aware that the energy that had arrived could potentially upset some of our oldies. So what I did was I had a bit of a, um, a summit of the, um, the older generation, and I pitched them this, this vision or this idea. And I said, imagine that when teenagers came to church, what would it be like if they had five senior people, each person, come and welcome them to church rather than you wait for them to come into your space? And what amazed me was there were, there were a, um, a number of elderly people who really caught hold of that vision. And every Sunday they would actually, you know, walkers or walking sticks and they'd go, welcome, you know, nice to see you, young man, you know. And so I taught them how to enter a teenager's world and then leave to, to get rid of that awkwardness, you know. Mm. Um, and as they persisted in doing this, it was really interesting to see that the respect for the elders in that church really went up by teenagers. In fact, when one of them passed away, um, there were about 40-odd teenagers that came to his funeral, right? That just were kids that were coming to church. And I, and, but I think part of it was is your role as a leader sometimes is to help people bridge those, those gaps and see a purpose. Do you guys yeah. think there's a sense of like, we almost need to get out of the way sometimes? For young people, like give them space. Like, what do you think about that? I think to go back to almost an earlier, you know, um, an earlier thing that Matt had said, you know, actually listening to the young people um, in the kids' churches and the youth groups. I think it's really realistic to say that it's not going to go perfectly, 100% of the time, um, and it's going to take a long time to figure out what does work. I think um, even again at South, it's taken a long time to figure out how junior youth group's gonna work and what times are gonna work for people and um, it can be disheartening when you're starting up, um, especially when you're a new person coming in without those relationships. But um, really invest in the time and getting to know them because they know and they will support you if you're vulnerable as well. It is, you know, that saying of, um, they think you're their friend, but you're not really, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that kind of, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know, that's always really helped me and God's always gone before. Yeah, so I guess a, like a really practical tip for you guys who are doing ministry out there is it's not going to happen straight away. Um, things take time, it takes time to build relationships, it takes time to build connection with people around you. Uh, it, gets, it takes time to understand the culture that you're operating in. So I think a really good tip um, would be just to acknowledge the, that you're in it for the longer haul, um, regardless if you're an officer or if you're an uh, employee, um, that there's gonna, th it's gonna be a, an uphill, like long-term marathon rather than a sprint, yeah? You, you guys think that's, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Oh, sorry. And um, I think didn't 
in the conversation before, he did say, you know, you haven't done it before, so why do you think it will be easy yeah, totally. as an adult? Yeah. yeah, and that really applies to starting yeah. up new programs. Yeah, I think yeah. That, that might even be, like, that's a really good tip too, is that not everything's going to work, um, and it's okay to fail at things. I think it's really, like, maybe we're a bit risk adverse, and so if we do something and it doesn't work, it's like automatically, well, that will never work ever again. But it, acknowledging that maybe this program or this idea or this thing didn't work, and then learning from it, either building on it to like, like close the gaps, um, might actually, it's a learning opportunity, right? Yeah. Oh, not only that, it's also a pioneering opportunity. Mm. Like I think... Great I, word, Yeah, pioneering. I think my, yeah. my personality type is I always think the glass is half full, yeah. right? And so when I look at who we are as a movement, the opportunities that, that we have, phenomenal. When you start something new, uh, however, I think you can go through a period of feeling a little bit of isolated and thinking, am I on the right track, you know, the whole thing. But if, if God has birthed the vision in you, what I have seen over the years in the Salvation Army world is, is that resources slowly follow. If you, if you hold the course, you know. Um, I mean, we, we were founded as the Volunteer Army. One of the things that Scotty talked about was that whole thing of remembering stories, you know. Um, and so I always like to think that there's room for everyone um, with the way that they are wired, the way that, um, you know, the things that they, they treasure. Um, those things are in a person for a reason. And I think when we come, when we translate that into an army setting, Often one of the things that we say, oh, there's nothing going on in this core, in the centre, what's going on? We'll say, well, actually, you're here for a reason. Maybe, yeah, maybe you are the answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, such a good opportunity as well, I think, starting from scratch, is that it gives you a chance to establish new culture and establish a new a heading. And I love that word pioneer, like pioneer again, you know, because there would have been programs that came before you or, or relationships that came before you that maybe have died out. And like you, you can be that catalyst who comes in and it's, you know, it's from in you, yeah? Like if you've driven and you've got the vision and God's placed it on your heart to start something or to start from scratch, like do it, you know? And fail. Yeah. It's okay, like, right, to fail. I think it's a really valuable, positive mm -hmm. learning experience, yeah. I think another, I guess, an another practical tip. You know, if you're, if you're a co-op there, you've just started and, you know, you're worried about, well, there's no, finances for for youth group you know we've, we've got like like Matt said we've got resources yeah. and uh, and for example we we started our youth group in Ashburn and you know we've got people coming and saying well where would you get the money from you know, it's, it's, look God is in control yeah. um, and you know it's just using our resources we use the family store yeah. bailed up clothes we did a jumble sale and yeah. you know that the connection from there not only ripples like we talk about the ripple effect no, that doesn't go to the youth, but you no, know, to the community yeah. as a whole. And it's just those young people, we've placed the young people out yeah. controlling the jumble sale and the connections they've made with the community has drawn in more youth yeah. into yeah. the course. So yeah, just, get we've, we've got resources. Yeah, get yeah. scrappy, eh? Like, have scrappy. that like startup mindset. Like, if you're pioneering something, you're like uncharted, like you're in uncharted, uncharted waters, right? Um, like the Salvation Army fortunately has a huge kind of support mm. network as well mm. and there's so many resources available to you um, within the Salvation Army and as well you can ask for help like 
know, it's such a, a basic thing, but um, you know, open up the dispo and like ring someone, yeah. Like uh, talking to the people who have access to the dispo. I don't anymore because of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like ring someone, ring someone you know, or like email or Teams or whatever. Like we're in a super connected world now. We can share stuff really easily. Um, are there some practical resources that you guys use in your, your ministry that could help people who are kind of starting, starting from less? From um, children's um, perspectives, I always really enjoy a good Bible story. Yeah. And then going on from there and doing games and activities. Yeah. Um, they always seem to really enjoy and engage in that. So yeah. Jesus Storybook Bible's been a really big one for yeah, us here. Totally. The kids have really engaged with that. Yeah, and a plug as well, there's there's an animated version on the media machines, I still I think, oh, from cool. Salvation Online. Yeah. So yeah, children's yeah. storybook bible. Yeah, and I mean our young people have loved the um, love languages mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things where they're becoming self-aware but you bring scripture into it as well. Yeah. It's been quite cool too. Yeah, awesome. Mm. Simi, have you used anything practical? Google? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we, we, we spend a lot of time looking online for exciting games. Yeah. Uh, but mostly my go-to is I'm, I'm, uh, I love to have one-on-ones with, so like, like you said, just calling other offices or yeah. other youth leaders. Yeah. Um, that's just my go-to. I, yeah. I love just having a chat because they've done it. Yeah. They know how it works for them. So I just love chatting with them and just getting more ideas from them because we're, like you said, we're all in this together. Yeah. So, yeah, my goal is just going to other offices or, or even Matt or even other youth leaders, just getting some of the advice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's good. I um, have made it quite a big point moving to Wellington where I do have access to other young people mm-hmm. who are doing the same roles um, to actually go and grab coffee with them, mm-hmm. which is a good excuse to use work time. So, I highly recommend. Yeah. Um, yeah, go grab a coffee, have a chat about what you're doing in your core. Yeah. Um, it's a good support network as well, yeah. and of course you've got you know DYs, TYs, all that stuff Absolutely. as well. And it's yeah, I feel really supported. But you do have to sometimes um, step out and actually go looking for the supports as well. Yeah, but totally. they are there. Yeah, and as and as in addition to that, some people are pruners, and some people are weed whackers. Pick the right one for the stage that your idea's in. So if you've got just a really fragile seedling of an idea. Don't take it to a weed whacker straight away. They're just gonna like chop it, you know? Take it to a pruner, take it to someone who can nurture that idea and draw out some of the some of the um, maybe things you need to consider. And then when the idea is a bit more robust, it's got a few more leaves on it, then take it to someone who's gonna actually like give you the hard feedback, yeah? Um, so practical tip, um, network, network. Yes, people are our greatest resource. Yes, they um, are. A great resource that I love tapping into, and it's it's been around for a while now, is uh, or are the books by Tim Hawkins. Um, so disciples who will last, fruit that will last, mm-hmm. leaders who will last. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just think that if you're in any kind of leadership within the Salvation Army, whether it's in you know crash or senior leadership, I think you should be familiar with that material because it helps you. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as Ronji says, keep the main thing the main thing. Mm. Um, and you can build any kind of program um, around around those core competencies that mm. are in, uh, in that space. Um, yeah, and I, I use um, the disciples who will last with a starting point for a number of people that I'm, I'm mentoring at the moment. Um, mm. If that. That's good. There we go. Cool. Um, we talked really, really briefly, and we want to just skate past the COVID 19 thing because I think everyone's just sick of it by now. Um, it's really stretched and tested our ministry and our like capacity as well. But I think the, the good thing about 
COVID and moving through it is it's kind of given us grit and determination and st stamina as well. So um, maybe just give us like your, your like summary of like pre-COVID like ministry and then like we've moved past it. Um, where do you see us going now? Like in a kind of, we're not totally over it, but we're moving into a post-COVID sort of environment. You know, how do we start from scratch now after COVID? I'm happy to go, yep. Um, look, I think when you think about what was going on pre-COVID, you watch what happened then through COVID, obviously a whole lot of things that worked before COVID really no longer work or are up for grabs or, you know, have been questioned, if you like. Churches that have um, stayed strong, I believe, through COVID have been relationally strong mm. churches. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Um, so when, you know, there were restrictions on numbers, um, and gatherings and things like that. This is where small groups became very important. Um, and so I think I think moving forward, because we're going to take, like you still hear it heard, oh, when we get back to normal, well, I, I don't think there is going, there's going yeah, to be a new the, normal. We're now in yeah, the new normal. We're right? in the new normal, yeah. right? And I, for me personally, as I think about this, it's just the importance of actually consulting with people and saying, hey, what do you think this could look like? Don't just assume you can go back to what you were doing before, but actually um, actually just listen to people, especially um, teenagers, even kids. Get, get kids together and say, hey, what do you think we could be doing? Um, because they will, they might not know, but there will be the sense that we're all in this together and all journeying forward together. That's kind of my thinking on that. Hmm. It's one of the learnings that we had from Salvation Online is that it wasn't actually the quality of the, you know, the video call or the video presentation or whatever, the live stream. It was actually like the strength of the connection between the people. And um, I think what a great teaching for COVID, from COVID is that, and especially with young people, is it's taught people how to connect with where young people already were, right? They were already like Snapchatting and um, Instagram living or whatever. And it just kind of forced us to actually ex ex like accept that reality, and it's become real now. Like this whole online space has opened up to like everyone past 25 now. Like we had to learn so much doing Salvation Online about it's actually about that strength of connection and relationship, yeah. And and I think what it did also do, ironically, was remind us that actually meeting together is really important. You know, face to face in some regards, because people were over. Zoom meetings or team meetings. Yeah, know. I'm still yeah. kind of over them, to be honest. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're really draining. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. And you're gonna have that like fake, like I'm really interested look on all the time, you know, and like kind of nod, <coughs> like you're listening. But or just turn the camera off. Yeah. You just have the audio on. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. yeah. So thinking back um, across your time, wherever you, you are now. Um, is there anything you think you would change in the way you've done ministry? Like if you started something or if you've um, pioneered something, like is there anything you'd change? It's so hard, I don't know. Um, I was previously in a, another role in Whakatane um, where I was doing the same thing. And I think, you know, moving to South, I had learned a lot from the previous one. And mm -hmm. so I think the main thing I've done differently and the thing that I would encourage people in new roles or starting new things is to like really, um, prioritise relationship building and networking. 
um, not only within your core but also within your community as well. Um, I found it really helpful when I have young people who um, are struggling with things that I can't deal with. Um, that I can refer them on to counsellors that I know and trust and um, to social workers and stuff as well in the building. Um, those relationships and being able to build bridges and kind of like a spider web where you know, the young person is connected not just to me but to people in the core and counsellors and social workers so that I'm just there to provide what I'm there to provide but mm -hmm. they're well taken care of. Mm -hmm. That's something that I've really prioritised yeah. and something that I would change if I went back, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think one thing that I would change um, for everyone that knows me, I'm the type of person that just jump straight in, yeah. um, go with the flow kind of person. Um, but then that's good in some ways, but sometimes it's, it's a challenge. Then you don't have the rest of the year planned out in terms of setting up programs. So for me, mm. it would be just, you know, maybe before getting things started, have a plan and just yeah, maybe work towards that plan rather than just jumping straight in. Maybe in the comments you want to um, write down what you might do in hindsight. Maybe you've pioneered or started a ministry. Um, share that with people um, because they can learn from that. Yeah, In hindsight is a, is a really beneficial thing and it works really well um, so that we can improve on the ministries that we've started or pioneered. Cool, so we're going to um, wrap it up. So we want to end on a high. So I want you guys to like tell us what's something, what's one thing that you really celebrate in your ministry and something that you've seen God take and like grow and make fruitful. Is there something that you want to celebrate? Uh, I have many, mm -hmm. um, but I guess one of them would be the excitement when we have youth group is that the young folks are wanting to learn more about God. Mm -hmm. um, and that to me just excites me that the kids are excited about coming to youth group and learning more about God. And, uh, and no, one of the celebrations that we, did, we had this year was the fact we were able to take uh, four, six youths from Ashburton to Winter Peak. Mm -hmm. um, and out of that six, four of them were the first time leaving the South Island. Wow. And, um, you know, and just having them go to BMAC and trying things that they wouldn't be able to do and just facing their fears. Um, yeah, that's just my celebration of just providing opportunities yeah. for these young that's folks. Good. Yeah, that's good. Georgia? Um, again, I just have so many. Um, but I think, you know, I'm just so proud of when you're working with a young person and they're quite difficult in the beginning, but um, as they grow and then they develop into a leader. And I just love standing back and watching them actually teach the younger generation. Mm -hmm. I'm just, yeah, so proud and excited about that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Matt? you're proud of? Yeah, well, look, I've been on the, the road for a while now. Um, what, what I have loved seeing is that when you have a, a strengths-based approach to what you do, it means that you're actually helping uh, young people figure out what they're good at, mm -hmm. right? And the beauty of that is, is that some of them go on and become very, very good at all sorts of things. And so what I've loved seeing is, is that um, young people who have come through our children and youth space who have gone on to be like officers on one hand or rock stars on the other hand or counsellors or teachers. On, you know you're getting old when someone who came through youth is now like an assistant principal of a school, right? <laughs> but the, but what, I, what is so rewarding most of all is that when you see 
these people who have gotten older, they've gone on to have their families, you've been involved in weddings and all that kind of stuff, but they're, they're still wrestling with what it means to apply Jesus at the centre of their lives. Um, and that's that to me is the most important mm. most important thing. That's what I love. Yeah, most. absolutely. And those yeah. are the kind of stories that sustain us, eh? They're the, they're the ones that keep you going when it seems really, really, really difficult. You know, like, so you latch onto those memories of, hey, that one time I changed someone's life through what I do. It's like humbling, I reckon, but like so good. It's fuel in the tank, yeah? Cool, cool. All right, we want to say thank you to our panel. Um, maybe show them some love in the comments. Uh, let them know what you think. Um, all good. We're so, so stoked that you guys were able to join us. Uh, and share your time and your wisdom and your perspective. We want to thank Reverend Scotty for his amazing uh, word and remember to be, what was it, mongrel? Uh, humble. A humble mongrel. humble mongrel. Stay humble. Yeah. Uh, the theme, I guess, that we've pulled out tonight is that um, it's all about being relational and that when you start from scratch, you might not have the resources, but they will come as you build your networks with people, as you build connections, as you um, get to know the people around you. There's tons of support available. And again, we're going to make sure that's available to you through um, the More Conference website. Any of the links or resources that the Salvation Army produces for youth and children's workers. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us wherever and whenever you are watching. Uh, This has been More Conference Session three, starting from scratch. God bless you all. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you got something out of it, maybe a little nugget of wisdom or a practical tip you can start implementing in your ministry. If you want to check out more, you can head to our website, www.moreconference.co.nz for the most up-to-date news and content from us. We'll see you next time on the More Children's and Youth Leadership Podcast. Mm-hmm.